Where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. (laughs) Welcome, 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 welcome. You know the key if you've been listening to my shows for years. Four welcomes means I have four special guests, thought leaders, and we have a hot topic that you're all talking about. Maybe not quite yet at cocktail parties, but certainly on business calls and certainly in policymaking decisions and all over the world. It's a big word. It's sustainability. I have a little question here for my listeners, viewers, and panelists. What is sustainability? Before I get answers, I'm going to read you one of the dictionary definitions I found. I didn't put this in my pre-monologue for my guests, so bear with me here. Sustainability. It has one, two, three, five syllables. Okay. The ability to maintain, be maintained at a certain rate or level, as in the sustainability of economic growth. But here's the interesting part. Avoidance of the depletion of natural resources in order to maintain an ecological balance, the pursuit of global environmental sustainability. So avoidance of depletion. That's an interesting, I haven't heard anybody say it quite that way, but I think that's what we're all talking about. How do we keep the resources that we need for sustaining life on this planet? So I have a couple of buzz quotes here. I'll make them brief and then I will introduce my esteemed four panelists and we will see where we're going to go with this. So here's a quote from a Forbes, a Forbes.com article, sustainability is no longer just a buzzword, but an environmental, economic, and social driver that's changing our day-to-day lives. Committing to sustainable practices is no longer a nice-to-have, but a must-do. And here's the key word because this is technology revolution. Technology has the power to increase productivity, efficiency, and cost savings, reduce product waste, chemicals, and resources, and measure, analyze, and track progress. That's one quote. I have found an interesting company in France that's a shoe brand called Thousand Fell, F-E-L-L. And in 2019, they launched what they call a fully circular shoe brand. If you're not familiar with the circular economy, that's what they're talking about. Versus what's typically in the fashion industry, take, make, and waste. A system where you use it, you throw it away, you dump it in a landfill, you burn it. And French French actually in 2020 introduced an anti-waste law. And I wonder how many other countries have done this, preventing the destruction of unsold items. I remember when I lived on Long Island, New York, they used to talk about what happened to the truckloads of unsold merchandise from a big retailer that started with M, ended with Y with an apostrophe S. We all know what that was. I used to shop there often. They said they just took them out in the field and burned them. Well, they don't want that to happen anymore. Then I, I know, Jen, Now we have, there's something called sustainable banking. Who knew? It's a form of transparency that enriches payment transaction data with carbon footprint calculations. I didn't even know that was part of banking. I know it's part of crypto. I have a fourth quote from McKenzie.com. Technologies shaping the sustainability agenda. Listen up. Public electric transport. Oh, maybe it's in a city near you. Electric trucks, cheap energy storage, plastic recycling. Uh huh. Stop dumping those plastic bags and straws in the water and in your garbage. Do something important with them. LED lighting efficiency, accessible solar power, let the sun shine, carbon capture and storage, hydrogen in the energy transition. And I have a couple of headlines that I thought were very interesting. Synthetic fuels are the future of Formula One. Think about that. Synthetic fuels. You know what Formula One is. Climate tech startups raised a record $32 billion globally as of October 2021. That's just a few months ago. India's Mahindra Group expects 50% of vehicles sold by 2030 to be electric. Could be a surprise. UK aims to boost solar by predicting cloud movements with artificial intelligence. Who knew? And aviation is changing. Hydrogen planes, electric propulsion, and new regulations. So the big question on the table today is, will we achieve sustainability through legislative mandate, data-driven processes, technology, like AI and IoT, collective mindset, which we're going to talk about today, individual action, 
or a combination of all of the above. I have four very special guests. I want you to raise your hand and wave when I call your name. Let's see, Chris Resendez. Chris is back. Chris, so happy to have you here. And thank you to Don DeLoach, a good supporter of the show, for sending Chris to me and say, Chris would love to do this topic. We have a newcomer, Rana Chakrabarti. Thank you very much. Jen Beeson is with me. She was on a show recently. And Rana is courtesy of Jen. And we have, I'm going to say it once, Dr. Amanda Kiesel. She said, only say doctor once so there you are and she also comes to us through a referral through Jen Beeson and I'm gonna ask them for their take on the future of sustainability and technology enough for tomorrow question mark that's my big question on the table so let's get started I know Jen that's a heavy question really is let's get started around the table three minutes each Chris and Jen I'm gonna I'm gonna have first Chris then Jen then we have uh, Rana and then Amanda I'm gonna ask the two of you Chris and Jen said you've been on my shows before talk to the I'm guessing, Chris, you've been on so many times, there might be 9.3 people who don't remember you, Chris. Just bring them up to date. Jan, you were on recently on one show, not this particular show. So I'm guessing there might be 12.3 people who don't know who you are. I'm sorry. I hope I didn't offend you. And Rana and Amanda, you're brand new. So just go for it. So tell us what you've been up to, what you do, and what does sustainability mean to you? Chris, you're up first. Full screen, full screen video for you. Chris, welcome back. Oh, boy. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here, Bonnie. Every time I'm here, um, I'm always the slow kid on the screen. So with Amanda and Jen and Rana, I can't wait to learn. And with you, I can't wait to laugh and learn. Um, I'm Chris Rezendiz. I'm the chief business officer at a company called Context Labs. Um, look, we are very much a company of the moment. Uh, we announced uh, a Series B raise of close to $30 million. We're in the climate tech space. We have a software platform that Gartner calls an enterprise data fabric. I'll get into that in a second. And this week, we announced um, a major deal with one of the North America's largest gas companies that owns essentially the infrastructure that moves about a third of natural gas across North America. Their commitment is nothing less than to decarbonize, basically manage all the leaks and the vents and all that, all the keep the gas in the pipe so that as a transition fuel, natural gas can be a true contributor to decarbonization. Real time, that's my life, trying to make sure that, long story short, we get all of these stakeholders from the scientific, the regulatory, the operational, the financial, and the community communities, they all have different perspectives and different priorities, different sources of information that they trust, different tools and methods and analytics that they rely on, my job, and I believe technology's job, is to bring those people together so that we can have all of the best and only the best sources of data and analytical models so that we can get to what we call ground truth. What really is the truth of our status with respect to carbon or water or biodiversity? What is our ground truth with respect to the social justice component of sustainability or resilience? And I believe we can only do it with the change in mindset you talked about and the digital tooling, because there's just too much data, too much information. The planet's too big. It's too fragmented. We can't put subject matter. I mean, can you imagine putting a Dr. Kiesel everywhere that we want to be observing water or carbon? Can you imagine putting Jennifer at every single transaction that we want to be monitoring? Can you imagine having Rana in every single decision that we want to make as traders or investors? can't do it. So the technology has to be tuned to support our priorities and our priorities have to be about sustainability, resilience, regeneration, and, and, and adaptivity. That's my argument. That's what our business is doing. And we've been blessed and lucky to have a couple of big successes over the past month to prove your points, Bonnie. Thank you. That's Chris, what I've been up to. Raising Chris, a little money and deploying a little tech. I, I have to say a couple of things. Number one, thank you for the, the great overview, the big picture of what we're talking about today. Number two, I'm going to say in my people's language, mazel tov on your fundraising. Number three, do you sleep? Number four, did you wake up one day and say, sustainability is my mantra in life? This is what I'm, you can answer that later. And number five, when you say we're lucky to have, you're not lucky, Chris, you're smart. 
I don't buy that. I'm lucky to get this opportunity. You're smart. You know where the opportunities are. You know how to seize them. You know how to present what your mantra and mission are. You know how to be articulate. I'm complimenting you, Chris Resendez, so just take it, okay? But I don't buy this. I was lucky to get this job. I, I, a very, To me, very little plays luck. We, we are making these things happen. Jen, who you are, and Amanda, and Rana, and Chris, and even me. I made my radio career out of absolutely nothing because I saw that little tiny bit of light coming through a window in a door and I slammed it open and said, I'm here, I'm doing this. I think we make these opportunities and that may be how we have to go about achieving the sustainability that we're talking about today. So Chris, thank you. You got to me emotionally and I appreciate that. Rescue me, Jen Beeson. And by the way, there's a big lag on LinkedIn because Chris is still talking here, doing his introduction with his hands up in the air. So I'm not sure what's going on, but there we go. Now we're back. So there's about a 60 second lag here. Jen Beeson, putting you on full screen, reintroduce yourself to everybody. And did you wake up one day and say, ah, sustainability. Jen, welcome back. Hey, Bonnie. Thanks hey. for having me. Hi, everyone. I'm Jen Beeson. I lead SAP's social entrepreneurship strategy for um, for a corporate social responsibility department. There's a lot of responsibility in all of in all of what I do. Chris, I I feel like everything that you just shared, I would like to give a huge plus one. If we are not all working together to create the world and and support a planet that can sustain all of us, um, then we won't be successful. This isn't just about some of us taking action. This is about all of us. And that's what I focus on, Bonnie. Part of my job is bringing together people from all walks of life, corporates, nonprofits, intermediaries, governments, and figuring out how we can all bring the best of what each of us has to achieve to achieve a better world. Um, and and I think the really important thing that you'll continue to hear me champion today, but also just in life is, is that you have to meet people where they are. Not everyone has the same opportunity or is in the same place in order to achieve these incredible things. And I think that's really important for all of us to consider, right? When I hear Chris talk about the incredible opportunities that his organization is bringing, we should be applauding and championing and figuring out how we bring others who are not as far along to the same place and to the same areas of success. So that's something that's really important for me. I started out in a career in technology. And for me, my entire career has always been in a big tech firm. And I also recognize the responsibility that comes with being in big tech and the, and the impact that that can have on the world. But there's also a huge area of opportunity for doing that. We can use technology to change the world. We can use technology to solve the world's most complicated problems, and we can do it together. Mm -hmm. And I am so happy to be here with all of you to talk about it today. Thank you very much, Jen. When you were talking, I was thinking, what's my career in tech? And some of you have heard me say, somebody told me about a year ago that I'm considered an early woman in tech because I was a programmer analyst when that was the title and that was the job, coding in COBOL on a Xerox Sigma 6 CP5. I got twin degrees, Chris, I know, I got twin degrees in programming and operations. My graduate school was a community college in Oregon, Lane Community. After I earned a bachelor's degree, magna cum laude from Boston University, after two years at Sarah Lawrence. COBOL, yes, I was three. Thank you, Chris. No, I was actually two. Let's not overstate the case here. Ah, three and a half. Um, and, and I was key punching, and I was writing code on, on paper in pen on the weekends and then going in and key punching on a Monday morning and my code was, I will say, so good that maybe I had one little syntax error out of 2,000 lines of code and I was up and running by noon on Monday and they hired me as my own contract programmer and I was programming an extra system on my own and it took them six months to find the funds around the state to pay me but i was doing my own contract work so i was writing code for me as the main anyway it was a blast in those days and it was a eureka moment every time a program worked so i remember the early days of tech and that's a whole other conversation so and and it was for community college that's why i was doing and then an, uh, a statewide uh, system for uh, the secondary schools in the state of oregon i was programming for them so i don't know why i was in big tech but i was 
in local big tech, if you were, because we were running systems that needed reports for, for the whole state and for systems. So anyway, great memories. Thank you, Jen, so much. So happy to have you here. You didn't wear your hat today, Jen. I didn't, but yeah. I do have a headband on. So okay. sticking with the theme of I guess. accessorizing. Jen's PR picture has the most fabulous hat. I've got a <laughs> closet full of hats from college when I was two, Chris. Anyway, thank you very much. Welcome back. Rana Chakrabarty, we're so happy to meet you. Can't wait to share your bio with everybody. I'm putting you on full screen. Rana, go ahead. Tell us who you are, what you do. Thank you. And thank you for having me, Bonnie. And Jen, Jen for pulling me out of my shell. I don't do this very often. I am uh, introverted and rightfully so. The COVID has been a boom for that. Um, well, let's start with what I do. Um, so, you know, I work at the SAP Academy for Engineering. I'm responsible for learning experiences, which is another way of saying we design immersive experiences for engineers and managers and architects. Um, and I would say professionally, I'm a designer. I'm trained as an engineer, but my default thinking is in systems. And so to the question of sustainability, I would say, same as Chris, I'm here to learn. I'm fairly new to this conversation. Mostly it's because, you know, I was a lead designer for Coldplay's recent app for the world tour. And that got me thinking about sustainability. And the way I think about this is, you know, this is the systems part of me. Like, well, tech is useful, tech is necessary. But I feel we're in the third wave of technology. So the first wave of internet was web pages, right? Which kind of made it easy for you to find people, reduce the search cost to zero. You just Google it and find somebody. And that was cool. The second wave was social networks, which made it easy to aggregate people, right? So the cost of organization became very, very little. So that's why you could have Twitters and organizations by Twitter. The third wave, I think, which is the combination of crypto and decentralized autonomous organizations will reduce the cost of movement or the cost of taking action to very close to zero. And my thesis for that is if you know of Constitution Dow, these are essentially 17,000 investors who raised $40 million in three days to buy one of the 13 you know, available copies of the Constitution. They got outbid by some other, you know, investor but the fact that you can do that today is super interesting and so my thesis for sustainability is great you will need top-down support you know you'll need companies saying great cop 26 we commit to reducing carbon blah blah by 2030 2050 but you will also need bottom-up pressure in a way that you haven't had before um and this is very very new you could always have a voice but now you have voice plus money plus people uh, which i think could go both ways it could go in the direction of Yes, the good wins and, you know, we can hold people to account and we can speak truth to power. Uh, for example, Ukraine received something like $50 million of investments. Like this is crypto funds over the course of three weeks and you could argue it's good or bad, but it's possible. But it's now up to how do we organize? I don't think that's known yet. I don't think groups are used to just rallying together and shouting at the government. But how do you self-organize is fairly new. So that's my thesis for sustainability. Like, I hope there's enough time. I don't know if it's enough time to 1.5 degrees, but I hope there's enough time. <laughs> but it's up to us to figure out how do you get the mechanics of organization going more than just shouting at the government. And so I look forward to thinking about that with you guys. Thank you very much. We're looking forward to your predictions, Rana. Very, very interesting. I'm thinking as you're all speaking, and Amanda, I'll get to you in a second, that sustainability, it's going to happen whether we do anything about it or not. The issue of were we on the sustainability train? Will water run out? Hmm. Will the sky get dark? Hmm. Will carbon overwhelm, carbon footprint overwhelm what we're doing? Will we have greenhouse gas? Will we not be able to breathe? Will what's going to happen? Will we not be able to grow food? Think about this, that it's the train is on the tracks. If we don't do anything, what's going to happen and when? And that's why I titled this episode, The Future of Technology, The Future of Sustainability and Technology, Enough for Tomorrow. When is tomorrow? What do we need? What do our offspring and, and the future of the human race as we think we know it, whether it's this planet or I don't know where we're going, what will it take to sustain life? Isn't that really what we're talking about here? And the quality of life, it's a big damn question. On that note, Rana, thank you, nice to meet you. Love the thesis concept there. Amanda, Dr. Amanda, I have to say, Dr. Amanda Kiesel. Amanda, I'm putting you on full screen. Go ahead, introduce yourself. Welcome. Thank you. 
Thank you so much, Bonnie. I, I'm so happy that you're doing this topic today, and I am so happy to be here with all of you. Um, I've been in the sustainability space for about 20, 25 years now, and we're actually, Bonnie, to the point that you just made, we're actually now talking about a regenerative movement, right? Because we got to get beyond just sustaining. We've got to figure out how to restore some of the systems that are already damaged. Um, yeah, so my background, I'm a co-founder of something called Good Market, and that's a community platform that's kind of serving this movement that we're seeing coming up all over the world. And the heart of this movement is you have all these amazing people out there, everyone here included, right, that are making different choices. They're choosing to prioritize people and planet over profit maximization. And we're seeing that in just this incredible number of organizations and businesses, right? They're choosing to put people and planet into their decision making. And the reason we can't fully see the movement yet is it's still fragmented, right? We have people registered in different ways. We have social enterprises, which Jen mentioned. We have B Corps, we have cooperatives. People are certified under different types of certification. Um, we're divided up by sector still. So we have people working on you know, energy issues and ethical fashion, fashion revolution, regenerative agriculture. And we're divided up by language. You know, if something amazing is coming up in Japan, maybe we don't, if we're looking online, we don't see it. So the idea with Good Market is to make the movement more visible and to make it easier for people to be able to find and connect with each other. So that's kind of the heart of it. And currently there's about 2,200 organizations across, I think, 77 countries or so, which has been just incredibly fun. And I think me being here today, there's one is I'm involved in enabling tech at the moment. That's my day-to-day my -day work. Um, and it's all about having integrations between platforms and between different tools. So that's one. But the second is I just have this absolute privilege of getting to see all of these different initiatives coming up all over the world that are trying to make things better. And so it's a combination of kind of the technology revolution, which our theme for today, and the sustainability revolution, which is a lot of fun. Thank you. And Amanda, interesting. You've been on in this field, in this area for 25 years. That was a surprise to me that people, we've been talking about it. But the question is, when did this regeneration mantra or mission happen? Was it six months ago? Was it three years ago? Was it, was it when the term ESG was invented and made popular? When, when did this, everybody's talking about it in yeah. modern terms. When did that happen? Yeah, I, I think anytime we've got a change in society, it starts with kind of there's like a core group of innovators, early adopters, and then it spreads through society. And we've seen that with awareness about sustainability issues. So I'd say the, the term regenerative or, re, you know, focusing on regeneration, it would have started in certain communities probably at least 15 years ago, and then it's now becoming more common. So, for example, sustainable agriculture, now you have a lot of groups talking about regenerative agriculture because we're realizing that we can't just sustain at this point. We've actually got to actively <laughs> be able to clean some things up and get things working again. <laughs> Thank you. I've been looking for that type of thought process for a while because it dawned on me that sustainability, well, what if you're sustaining somebody, something that, that doesn't have longevity, that doesn't have a future, that there isn't enough of to begin with, how do you grow more? How do you create more? How do you clean up more? Thank you, Amanda. That that was a revelation. And you can look on your, when I send you the audio track, that was at about uh, 22 minutes into the show. You can find when you said that, okay, if you want to want to post that clip. Thank you very much. Let's quickly go through the quotes. We are, I think we've covered the topic already before we even got to the predictions. And I think we've got some predictions already embedded in what you've all saying, but this is so exciting. So let's go to the opening quotes. If anybody is new to viewing, or listening to Technology Revolution, I asked my guest to send me a quick fictional quote from a TV or movie character or a song lyric that has absolutely nothing to do with the topic, literally, and then to interpret it in their own words to the topic. So let's quickly go through these, and I have some interesting quotes here. Chris Rezendez, I'm finally learning how to pronounce your name. Thank you, sir, for your patience with me. Rezendez, I've got it. Uh, Chris sent us a quote from Morpheus, played by Lawrence Fishburne, the movie, of course, The Matrix, 1999, sci-fi action. Can you believe that was almost 23 years? Chris, honestly, seriously, I know. Back to the Future, 1985, what are we talking? I know. Matrix, written and directed by the Wachowskis, and the first in the Matrix film series, starring Keanu, 
and Lawrence and, and all kinds of interesting people. A dystopian future in which humanity is unknowingly trapped inside a simulated reality, the Matrix, which intelligent machines have created to distract humans while using their bodies as an energy source. There's regenerative energy for you, Amanda, taking humans, if they're still able to sustain humanity, into energy sources. Uh, I just will tell you that Lana and Lily Wachowski instructed Lawrence Fishburne to base his performance on Morpheus, a character in Neil Gaiman's comic book series, The Sandman. I don't know if you're aware of that, Chris. Here's the quote Chris has selected. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. Ooh, I like that. Chris, two minutes. What does this have to do with our topic as if we couldn't figure it out? Go ahead. What does that have to do with the topic? Okay, I'm going to give you two, two little syllogisms here. First and foremost, we need truth to reestablish and extend trust, and we need that trust in order to make progress. No truth, no trust, no progress. That's my first syllogism. Second one is this. When it comes to truth and the physical world or climate, we've got to put that truth in a time and space context at a minimum because the planet's huge. And as humans, we can't be everywhere. We can't perceive everything. It's so complicated and complex. We need so many different subject matter experts, A. And B, the time scale at which the planet exists makes even the existence of humanity on the planet look like a blip. So... We've got to conceive of things in a time and space context that's way different than human life or human clock, number one. Number two, we've got to think about shifting mindset from, and this is where I'm going to pick up on what Rana said earlier, this, I think the second wave of the internet around social media was obsessed with affinity and cared nothing about veracity. If you take social media and or some of the major social media platforms, for example, they care so little about veracity, they literally say they do no curation. So we've got to switch the flip, or we've got to flip the switch and go from an affinity-obsessed technology market to one that's veracity-obsessed. And then here's the third and final one, and this gets back to what I think both Jennifer and Amanda said, which is, and we've got to enable something that... This comes out of the national security space where I spend a fair amount of time. It's called automated collective action. That is how our immune systems work as humans. That is how the most secure digital systems work in the technology space. And that's how our cultures and our communities and our companies need to work to attack this issue called climate risk. So those two syllogisms are how I think we need to be conceiving of trust when, and truth. What technology can give us is cold, hard, objective facts about existence, identity, location, state, and status of things. And it's up to us as humans, based on our values, to determine what the priorities are going to be. That's where I think that quote comes in. Thank you. I learned a bunch of new words just there, Chris. <laughs> I did. Uh, um, I, I want to tell you that your quote reminded me of a quote we've used, uh, guests have used on other shows from, of course, Colonel Nathan Jessup, played by Jack Nicholson and A Few Good Men, you can't handle the truth. There's your. There's another quote about veracity and what is it? It's it's hitting us in the face. It's smacking us between the eyes. Can we handle it? What are we going to do about it? Let me see if we can move quickly through the rest of the quotes. Jen, I'm going to try not to sing yours. It was actually uh, written by. It's a song. I'm going to get to it. Trevor Horn, Jeff Downs, and Bruce Woolley in 1979. It was recorded concurrently by two groups, but we're only going to be talking about one of them. Bruce Woolley and the Camera Club, with Thomas Dolby on keyboards, for their album English Garden, and also by the British New Wave synth-pop group. Talk about mixing genres. The Buggles consisted of Trevor Horn and Jeff Downs, and initially Bruce Woolley was in it as their debut single. The song, of course, is Video Killed the Radio Star, 1979. And it was the first music video ever shown on MTV in the U.S. Aired at 12. I have, I know all this. I'm not reading it. Rana, I, this just in my brain. Amanda, be still, please. Aired at 12.01 a.m. on August 1st, 1981. It was the first video shown on MTV Classic in the UK on 1st of March, 2010. It was ranked number 40 on VH1's 100 Greatest One-Hit Wonders of the 80s. And it's been covered by many recording artists. And the line is, video killed the radio star. I'm done singing. I'm not going to sing anymore, Jen. Don't worry. Video killed the radio star in my mind and in my car. We can't rewind. We've gone too far. Pictures came and broke your heart. Put the blame on VTR. Jen, talk to me. What does this have to do with our topic? You know, I'm, I'm a child of the 80s. I grew up always knowing that this was the first song ever played on MTV. 
And at the same time, you would hear people talk about how MTV has ruined the music industry. And at the same time, my contemporaries would look and say, wow, can you believe that we now have pop stars in our living rooms? You know, we are able to, to access them and be there, uh, be there with them. And I think it's a lot about the topic that we're here to talk about today. There's two sides to this. We can become so overwhelmed with the way things used to be and so overwhelmed by the feelings of despair and destruction, or we can see the opportunity. We can harness and embrace the change and and rock and roll with it, right? I mean, it's where we are today. So for me, um, I'm here to rock and roll with it. I'm here to figure out how we can all work together to embrace our new future. I brought my drumsticks, Jen. We're ready to. I, I love them. it, Bonnie. I can, and I have my quiet sticks, so I don't upset anybody. These are my quiet sticks. So you know, my kid's in the other room, but we we can make a song for that. Thank you very much. I got to go learn that song. Thank you, Jen. Love the quote. Thanks for picking it. Rana Chakrabarty has picked a quote from The Armorer, the Book of Boba Fett, Chapter Five in the Star Wars franchise. First appearance, Chapter One in the Mandalorian, twenty nineteen. The quote is from the Armorer fictional character, and the Armorer was played by an actress named. Emily Swallow. And here's an interesting factoid that I just happened to know, Rana. The costume took weeks to make, and it was challenging because any small movement she made in the costume was very noticeable. So she wore the helmet and the armor costume for up to nine hours at a time. And they hired somebody to do the martial arts, another actress. Uh, let's see, the fight scenes were inspired by the Filipino martial art known as Kali, and they had another actress do those. Here's the quote. Persistence without insight will lead to the same outcome. Whoa, talk to us, Rana. So first, I absolutely love the Star Wars mythology, and Amr was so cool, and so was uh, Jinjarin, Dinjarin. And in... I picked it mostly because I liked it. <laughs> Let me connect it to sustainability. There was a quote in the same episode, which I think is scarier, but more appropriate, in which the armorer says, they lost their way and we lost our planet, which I think is kind of where it could be, right? And how, you know, the night of the thousand, thousand tears. But this is kind of the hopeful version of the same story, which is, I think we're at a point where human beings are heroes when it comes to saving people in a burning building, but you know, we will not build a dam because for whatever reason, it's just not in our DNA. I feel we're at that point now where we have to think about, well, what we did in the previous is not good enough. Those tiny moves are not good enough. Um, that's, you know, so Chris, automated collective action sounds fascinating. And I feel it's in the direction of something like this, which is we have to say, well, what are the fundamental rules of survival on this planet? we all survive together or we all go kaput together, right? If that's the case, it can't be, you know, 1% control the resources, the other 99% suffer. We've got to radically rethink all of these elements. And this is like a, this is not a mechanistic model. This is like a patchwork, a quilt. Everybody has to work out their own pieces together, but it'll take all 7 billion to think differently for it to actually have a shot. And so that's where I come from. I don't know what the answers are, but I do know the questions are matter to everybody at this point. Whether you think about sustainability as important or not, everybody's, well, butt is on the line. And so that's where I think about it. Thank you. Knowing the questions, I think, is the first step to intelligence. You have to know everybody. Oh, thank goodness everybody agrees with me. I've read that. You have to know what to ask. And then they say you have to know to whom to delegate to help you find the, you don't have to have all the answers, but you have to know the right questions. Thank you, Rana. That was lovely. And let's go to Amanda. See, I'm, I didn't do, call you doctor this time. Amanda Kiesel. And she found a song called Resilient 2019 from a group called Rising Appalachia from their album L-E-Y-L-I-N-E-S, Ley Lines. It's an Appalachian folk group read, led by multi-instrumentalist singers Leia Song and Chloe Smith. Uh, Leia is also a solo artist based in Atlanta, New Orleans, and the Asheville area, North Carolina. I'm in Durham. The sisters work with international museums, and the band incorporates everything from simple harmonics with banjos and fiddles to a variety of drums. Maybe they'll hire me. Kalimbas, beatbox, jajambi, balafon, congas, didgeridoo. I know that's an Australian instrument. Tablas, spoons, and washboards, creating a full mix of world folk and soul, and soul music, and they're independent from the mainstream music industry. Here's the quote. 
My voice feels tiny, and I'm sure so does yours. Put us all together, and we'll make a mighty roar. Oh, what a beautiful line. Amanda, where'd you find this? Jen, does that give you goosebumps? Whoa, <laughs> Amanda, you're on. Yeah, maybe the reason I, I chose it. And that's because the things we're talking about today, about sustainability, these are systems level problems. And like Jen was saying earlier, it can be really overwhelming. It can make us feel afraid. It can just overwhelmed, right? We can feel despair. And that paralyzes us and it makes it difficult to act. And the beautiful thing, the most obvious connection with technology is it makes it possible for us to see each other. It makes it so we can see solutions, we can share them, it speeds up our learning, it speeds up the behavior change. We have a chance at tipping points, which is a whole other topic. Um, and the other reason I selected it is because um, many of the things we're talking about today, the underlying theme is it's a, about distributed and decentralized technologies, right? So it's about us all coming together around these things to mobilize resources, to form new organizations. But the, the main thing for me is, um, I think for humans in general, but particularly those working in the sustainability and regenerative space, trying to make a, a better future, collaboration is our superpower. Collective action is our superpower. And that's something we need to worry about, right? <laughs> Thank you. Very, very interesting. I, I wish I had realized the word regenerative when I put together the opening for the show because I would have loved to have used that word. Collaboration is our superpower. There's another moment for you, Amanda. That was at 37 minutes into the show on your audio track. You can find that clip. Everybody's saying brilliant things, so it's not just Amanda. Let's go to our predictions. We have enough time, I think, for one each, maybe. And here's the deal. I'll read the prediction. Chris, I'm reading your number two. You don't have to read it. I'll read it. And then unpack it for about Three minutes, Chris, if anybody has anything they want to add to that, just wiggle your fingers at me, the polite fingers, wave your finger at me, and I will see, I don't know why I said that, I will see it, and I will call on you, but I want to see if we can get to at least one prediction from each of you, so that will almost take us up to the end of the show. If we have time, we'll squeeze in a second round of predictions. We've been covering the topic so beautifully already, I'm not worried about it. So Chris Rezendez, prediction number two, Chris says, sensing an instrumentation of the physical and natural world from satellites to embedded sensors, there's our tech theme, will find its killer application supporting climate accounting as much as the growing collection of climate science and systems modeling. Our need to know what is happening and what might happen to our planet will drive massive investment in sensing and instrumentation to provide ground truth data about the existence, the identity, the location, the state and status of the places and things critical to safety and security on the planet. Wow, Chris, three minutes, un <laughs> unpack. That's a whole dissertation, Rhonda. This is sure. <laughs> Go ahead, Chris. And anybody wants to talk, remember, just wiggle, wiggle your nice fingers. Go ahead, Chris, you're up. Okay, I'm going to try this. As Rhonda said, we need massive change and we need it right now. And as Amanda said, the change needs to be in really complex systems that require extraordinary compute power to run all kinds of cascading simulations that's going to require the data that would enable us to account for climate. We've got climate science and climate modeling continue to progress. We've got financial accounting that continues to morph. We need climate accounting. We need a level of integrity with respect to quantification of what's happening to the physical world around people and around our built environment. That comes from having digital twins. Digital twins are the data representing physical world. You get that data from sensors. The sensors create the data that enable the digital twins, that enable the accounting, that can then feed these big complex models. Because here's the deal. Until money doesn't matter, until fiat currency and or, I'm not even going to get into crypto, but until fiat currency doesn't matter, Climate as a risk or an opportunity has to translate for financial markets. So we've got to be counting the things, the entities that exist in climate. So at Context Labs, for example, what's our business? We are literally taking all the data we can about, say, GHG emissions from any asset one might care about and get to the truth about the carbon footprint 
of a thing. And then start figuring out how you can decarbonize that thing. But you can't have an effective decarbonization strategy unless you have a, an effective decarbonization quantification. What's my baseline? What is, what is the truth of the performance? Carbon, water, biodiversity, oceans, forestation. The parts of the physical world that we care about need to be measured in such a way, here's my final point, that climate accounting rises to the same level, say, of the data behind ISO certification in our factories or in our core processes, and to the level of uh, financials getting their GAP certification. So the science work has been brilliant. The community work has been wonderful and amazing, but we've got to get to a place where we can actually account for climate performance so that we can impact capital markets. That's like the key component we think as we go forward, because if you don't have massive piles of capital to drive the changes in the physical world, like think about this for a minute, we have to fundamentally change some of the core processes in food, in housing, in energy, in community. I mean, just think about infrastructure, energy, comms, water, wastewater, transportation, and public safety. The two largest carbon footprints in the world outside of oil and gas are the energy grid and the transportation grid. Two of the three killer systems in infrastructure are massive sources of carbon emission. And the water wastewater grid is, besides agriculture, the place where we can go to do better with water security. But here's the deal. We're going to have to ask so many people to move so far so fast. It's back to this progress thing and this trust thing, which is rooted in the truth. In this case, the truth is rooted in the data that comes from those sensors that are in, on, or near the stuff we care about. Hopefully that worked. It, it did. And as Amanda said, collaboration is our superpower. I think you said that, Amanda. So that's, that's the part is getting people to work together and where, show me the money. There's a Jerry Maguire quote. Thank you, Chris. Let's move on. I've picked prediction number two from Jen. Jen, ESG, you can't solve for zero waste or zero emissions without considering a just transition. Those are my air quotes for all. Everyone's embracing the E. Organizations must adhere to the G but measuring the S or the social dimension in ESG is the next big opportunity on the horizon. And you said opportunity, you didn't say challenge. I like that. Jen, take three minutes, unpack, go ahead. There's only opportunities, Bonnie. And we're, we're looking at the glass half full here. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the concept of just transition, I, I just wanna, I wanna share a brief definition so we're all on the same page. It's the idea that a healthy economy and a clean environment can coexist. But the process for achieving this must be a fair one. That means all people, all communities, all ecosystems should be considered and included as we make this transition to a healthier world. I love, Chris, what you just said about the truth and getting to the truth. And the truth of the matter here is that there is a lot of information available around environmental sustainability, how to measure it, how can companies harness and take action on solving for zero waste and zero emissions. But there is very little information out there to help you get to the truth of the impact that we are all having on the social dimension. And this is starting to be a huge opportunity not only for all of us um, to really jump into, but we're seeing the big accounting firms. We're seeing the big four, the big consultings, right? The BCGs, the McKinsey, they are jumping in because they know that it is not possible for us to protect the planet that sustains us if people are adversely affected in all that we do. So I think we talk about, oh, it's easy to measure zero emissions and zero waste. It's not necessarily that it's easier. It's that we've been focused on it for decades. It's that that's where the money is, Bonnie. They're showing us the money in in this space. The next big opportunity is certainly, yes, we're going to have to adhere to government regulation. And yes, we're seeing it coming. There's, there's a new supply chain law coming out of Germany right now. We are going to see the regulations mm-hmm. continue to go, but it's going to be the organizations, the people, the opportunities that are embracing the chance to measure the S to include people and include the impact of people in this space. Um, that is where I think I think the next big play is. And I think whoever is leading that conversation is frankly, um, they're gonna win big and we're all gonna win big because of it. 
Thank you. Very, very interesting. I want to move on to Rana's prediction number one. I know this is one of your favorite topics. He says the combination of cryptocurrency, non-fungible tokens, blockchain, and decentralized finance will push power from the platforms to the makers. If you believe in a person, a cause, or an artist, you'll be able to support them directly. And unlike today, the majority of money you give will go to him or her directly without having to go through intermediaries. So let's relate this to our sustainability. It's an interesting other tack into the topic. Rana, go ahead. Um, so I'll pick up a few of the things that came up in our conversation, from being affinity obsessed to being veracity obsessed, which means rather than aggregating around whatever is convenient and light and fluffy towards truth. Um, distributed and decentralized, right? which is another major theme that came up today, putting our voices together, collective action, or even automated collective action. Now, if you think about all of that, you need the, the motivation exists, but the means doesn't yet. And I think with this third wave, you will have the infrastructure for collective action where you won't have to necessarily have a central platform that organizes you. We already have it. For example, Discord is one of those means, uh, but you'll also have the money. It'll be a community with a budget. And so long as everybody's philosophically aligned in the same direction, you can now move, right? Rather than a social media group. That I think is powerful as an idea. And, but like I said in the beginning, the methods of getting consensus still needs to be decided. We are so used to somebody telling us what to do. Now, if all of us, five of us are in charge of making a difference, we have to agree how we go ahead. And that I feel is the biggest opportunity. And not to say it's all going to be rosy, right? For every group that comes up wanting to go forward, there'll be a group that wants to go backward as well. But I think that's kind of the democratic process. If we work that out, I think it's an exciting time because finally, if you feel for something, Strongly enough, you want to give up a day job and you're saying, well, heck, you know, it's the planet or nothing at all. You finally can do it and you can find people who want to do it with you if you can figure out how to decide. That I don't know how we solve yet. I think we've lost muscle. We're no longer in the Greek era. We don't know how to agree with each other easily in difficult topics. So I don't know what to do about that. Very interesting. And I want to add a little tiny bit before we go to Amanda's prediction, uh, her first one. Rana, you, your prediction number four, I think, is an add-on to what you just said. New forms of communities will emerge in the real world from alignments online. Different from the radicalizing effect of social media, we'll see groups with compatible values first meet online in community-moderated places like okay. Discord and then manifest into real-life communities or even cities like the city Deo, which was an experiment in decentralized land ownership starting with a 40-acre parcel in Wyoming. Can you just take one more minute to expand that for me, Ron? I thought that was really interesting. Go ahead. So I think DAOs, so the mechanics of DAO is that obviously it's a group of people, but it also has what's called smart contracts. So there are specific rules which execute automatically within this group. Um, and also every person in the group has got what's called a governance token. You can vote on certain decisions. So everybody's equal. It's a flat hierarchy. And DAOs will come up by default, you know, speaking to Chris's idea about veracity, DAOs aggregate around a single purpose. A city DAO wants to manifest a community in real life that follows a certain set of principles. If you don't belong to the group, you can't even get in. Constitution DAO was a bunch of 17,000 investors who wanted to take the existing copy, one of the 13 copies, and give it back to the people rather than hanging in some museum. They're philosophically aligned. So this is now as wide, as deep as your passions are. And now finally, not only can you get people together, but you can also get the money together. And if you have men and money, you can buy the materials and get the movement. And so now the question is, how do you organize all of this? I think it's already happened. You know, you can see it in Telegraph and Signal and Arab Spring and things like that. But you will see it also for, for the planet. Um, so that's where my thinking breaks down. How will this all manifest? I don't know. But it feels like a good time to be there. Well, I think that's what we're talking about, opening the conversation here. And hopefully listeners and viewers around the world will it will spark an idea. It will spark a passion. Yes, cross fingers. Thank you. Let's go to Amanda, prediction number one. This is specific. I like this. Information technology will support the transition from consolidated agriculture and quote unquote big food to more diverse and resilient local food systems. Let's eat. Let's talk. Amanda, go ahead. You've got a whole three minutes and then we're almost out of time. Go ahead. Super. 
Um, I'm going to just share some personal background first to give it context, right? I come from a farming area in northern Michigan, and my grandparents and my parents were both born on diversified farms. And that meant that you had many different strings of income, and if there was a problem with the weather, or there was a problem with the economy for one crop, you still had other things and you could eat, right? You, you had enough food on, on there to eat. And during my parents' lifetime, there was a transition that's happened in the States and it's happened other parts of the world towards more consolidation and monoculture. So everybody specialized. And in my family, um, one side went to cherry trees, the other side went to Christmas trees. And whatever happens in those commodity markets, you just, you're, you're stuck. That's it, right? So you end up having more of a single crop, but you have less diversity, less resilience, less of the overall production. And that system has been really vulnerable to shocks. We saw that during the pandemic. We're feeling it now, I think, with some of the, the global, the war and the crises that are going on. You have it all in a, like a few companies. And we've lost a lot of crop diversity, right? We're down to everyone's eating Cavendish, one variety of bananas. And that's very vulnerable to climate change. So what we're seeing now is um, the places that still have um, diversified production, and in the U.S. we're starting to see more groups start to shift back into that, where we have diversified production. Um, there's an information channel challenge because you have many, many different kinds of crops that you're producing, and our systems aren't set up for that. So we're seeing a shift in technology to be able to support localized diversified production. And that is everything from farm equipment that's designed for diversified production, really cool platforms where you can share and rent farm equipment rather than having to own it. Um, information management tools so that local schools and local supermarkets can source locally from many different like diverse crop varieties. And also, and this is one of the things I'm really excited about, there's a lot of really cool direct-to-consumer um, technologies that are coming up. So we have a group, for example, on the Good Market platform from Italy called Bior Farm, where you're actually purchasing um, fruit trees from different farmers in your area, and you're getting a, a share of the crops. And there's just a huge number, there's a huge amount of innovation happening in this space that can help us shift back to having a more diversified and resilient food system. It's an area I feel there's a lot of work to be done. <laughs> it's not a prediction. Like it. It's something we're co-creating, but it's something I feel really positive about. Amanda, what kind of fruit tree would you sponsor? Oh, I, I think I would sponsor like many, many different kinds. So I have enough for the whole year. <laughs> okay. Chris, what would be your favorite fruit tree to sponsor? What would you like to have part, uh, crop delivered to you for, from? I, I'm going to go with lemons because we do a lot of chicken and fish and seafood in our house. So Ooh. we're consuming lemons daily. I'm going to go with lemons. Jen, what would you ask for? What would you Peaches. sponsor? Ooh, Rana, what fruit or what fruit would you sponsor? I'm homesick. Mangoes. Nobody has mangoes. Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. Amanda, narrow it down. I'll give you three because they, they each picked one. So we have peaches, we have lemons, and we have mangoes. What three top fruits yeah, would you Yeah, I, I spent the last 20 years in um, Asia, so I'm going to have to say mangoes as well. But my home fruit is cherry. So shout out to all the cherry farmers out there. <laughs> there you go. And I would have to find a banana farm somewhere, banana trees, because my morning, my morning breakfast is a, a banana milkshake, and I love bananas, so. So I would have to I would have to do that if I can find one. I have learned so much. Chris, you, you said going into the outset of the show a couple of days ago, you can't wait to learn from the rest of the panel. And Chris Rezendez, I know we learned from you as well. What an interesting group. Uh, thank you again to Don Deloach for bringing Chris back to me. Chris, anytime. Uh, Jen Beeson, thank you so much for bringing us Rana and bringing us Amanda. I want to do a shout out to Aaron Keller, my engineer extraordinaire, who now is the coordinator of client services, client success at Voice America Radio. Congratulations, Aaron. But don't leave me. I still want you for my engineer. Come on, you're my sidekick. We decided that years ago. Aaron started with me about three years ago. He was 26 and now he's 53. Just let that sink in. So I have a little homework assignment for all of you on my panel today before we say, and don't go away. I have something to talk to you about afterwards if you can stay with me for two minutes. I want you to all raise your finger and wag your finger at the screen. Come on, everybody, Chris and Amanda and Jen and Rana. If somebody says to you, the future is already here on the count of three, join me with no, no, no. One, two, three. No, 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 no. 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 Why? Because that was yesterday's future. That's done. We're all here to make this a better future, and we're going to do our best. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for Technology Revolution, the Future of Now. Bye, LinkedIn. 
Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now.